parable of the ten virgins. I told Dwayne that uh, the next time I pick any topic like this, that he needs to just beat me unmercifully. Um, I've been taking a lot of heat about this uh, topic. Um, Cress Myers and Brian Pollard and Gilbert uh, of couch fame, um, they decided when I told them what I was going to speak on that they were going to wear white robes and sit in the first row. And every time I said the word virgin, they were going to go, ah. <laughs> the truth is, I never wanted to be a virgin. Uh, when I was 10 um, and I met this, the love that, of my childhood, um, she announced very quickly that she was a good Catholic girl and there would be no hanky-panky. Um, and I didn't even know what hanky-panky was, but it sounded like something that I would really like to do. And then I was 14, and I entered high school, and um, if everything that I believed uh, was, was truth that was said in the locker room, um, I was the only virgin left in the lower peninsula of Michigan. Um, the upper peninsula didn't count because that was like deliverance and stuff, but, but I was alone. Um, and the football coach decided that all the running backs should improve their footwork, and so um, we enrolled in a dance class. So there I was, 14 years old, in my little tight whitey shorts and my smelly T-shirt in a dance class, praying that I would not become a ballerina or anything. And then in walked the dance girls. This was going to be good. <laughs> Not only were they hot, but when they announced partners, my partner was Geraldine Irwin, who was the senior captain of the cheerleading squad. I thought of becoming a Hindu because my karma had definitely kicked in. <laughs> but she absolutely loathed me, and every time she wasn't smiling for the audience and had to look at me, she would make these gagging sounds as if she was about to hurl chunks of lasagna or something. But dance class was my favorite class. I lived to dance. So we practiced our dancing. And each time she made physical contact with me, she would brush off herself like I was going to give her leprosy. But I didn't care. I got to touch a real live woman. Well, on this particular day, and we'll call it the day of my manhood ceremony, the acquisition of my non-virgin reputation, we did all our dance steps and everything. And Jerry, at the end of this particular dance, um, she had to do a split jump and then land in my arms, and I got to catch her. This was like the highlight of my day. The problem was that she had been wearing this leotard for some while, I suppose, because when she did this particular split jump, the leotard split in a very precarious location. 
And she landed in my arms. And I went, whoa. (laughs) What is this? And she struggled to get free, and I struggled to hold on. And (laughs) finally she escaped, ran into the locker room. And before the end of gym class, the word had spread through the whole school that this freshman boy had ripped Jerry Irwin's leotard off of her in the middle of class. I was the man. When I got out into the hall, I received my nickname, which I wore for the next four years. I was the Ripper. I was the man. I was the legend. I was the wild... Non-virgin. I wanted to be that man. I wanted to be the legend. I actually bought a pack of Marlboros and rolled them up in my (laughs) t-shirt. But I was still a virgin. Soon after that, I met my wife, Vicki, who, aware of my reputation, I had to ask her out seven times before she would go out on a triple date. Her dad met me in his police uniform when I picked her up. (laughs) And after a single date, she announced that she was a good Baptist girl. And we all know where that was going. So when I was young, I was a virgin much longer than I wanted to be. But now, in the pursuit of God, I live the reversal of what seemed to be the Holy Grail when I was 14 And I strive for this purity of life. And the parable is about that. It's about finding out who we are in Christ. It's about the change, the metamorphosis that needs to take place in us. And then it is about the journey. In the year 310, the emperor Diocletian split the Roman Empire into east and west. And the Greek Orthodox Church grew up in the east, and the Roman Catholic Church grew up in the west, independent of each other. They split officially another 700 years later. But in this development, east and west, they developed a very different way of reading scriptures. The Western Church, the Roman Church, developed a tradition of uniformity, cause and effect, rule, regulations, doctrine. The cause was to correct the sins of Eden, and the effect was that Christ came as our Savior. The Roman tradition is very much Savior-oriented. In the East, in Byzantium, the role of Jesus as a Savior, of course, is not diminished, but the role of him as a teacher of life The resurrection is much more an important part of their tradition than um, much more a focus, not an important part of of their tradition. In Rome, the word was follow and we will show you the truth. In Constantinople, it was seek the truth and come to know. The subtlety can be seen in the interpretation of Matthew 25, 1 through 13. The parable of the ten virgins. God's kingdom is like ten young virgins who took oil lamps and went out to greet the bridegroom. 
Five were silly and five were smart. The silly virgins took lamps but no extra oil. And the smart virgins took jars of oil to feed their lamps. The bridegroom didn't show up when they expected him, and they fell asleep. In the middle of the night, someone yelled out, He's here! The bridegroom is here! Go out and greet him! And the ten virgins got their lamps ready. The silly virgins said to the smart ones, Our lamps are going out. Lend us some of your oil. They answered, There's not enough to share. Go buy your own. And they did. But while they were out buying oil, the bridegroom arrived. And when everyone that had been there to greet him had gone on to the wedding feast, the door was locked. Much later, the five silly virgins showed up and knocked on the door. Master, let us in. But he answered, Do I know you? I don't think I know you. I don't recommend that you Google the word virgins. However, if you Google the parable of the ten virgins, you will find 60-some sites of Western, Roman, Protestant, end times, us versus them kind of interpretation of this parable. In the parable, the virgins represent us, believers. In Protestant circles, this becomes the Christians versus the rest of the world. It's been used to interpret the second coming of Christ and the judgment between winners and losers. He answered, do I know you? I don't think I know you. So the wise virgins, believers, are in the wedding feast. And everyone else, unknown, standing outside the locked door, is damned to hell. John Calvin used it to support predestination. The wise virgins are the in crowd. Christ has chosen or rejected us before we were born. So the five wise virgins are basically Presbyterians. <laughs> Using oil as a symbol of the Holy Spirit has been used by charismatics to say that those with the baptism of the Holy Spirit are winners, and everyone else who does not exhibit the gifts of the Spirit are somewhat less. It's been used by Protestants to denounce Catholics, by Catholics to denounce Protestants, Christians to denounce Jews, and Evangelicals to denounce everybody else. (laughs) But in the Eastern tradition, if we look at it as a teaching of relationship and the transformation of life and take out of it a theological narrowness, it becomes different. Let's investigate the symbols. All ten of the girls, all ten of the virgins, are believers. They've all been part of the wedding party. They all carry oil. They all fall asleep. The only difference between the five foolish ones and the five wise ones is the extra oil. The oil in the New Testament and in the Old Testament is the Spirit of God. Active in the Old Testament as the quickening Spirit, in the New Testament as the Holy Spirit who draws us to belief and equips us with power. The lamps are the words of God which lead us in our walk. The bridegroom is Jesus. 
And the scene here is a marriage covenant, an actual wedding. In the time in which Jesus spoke this parable, the wedding was a long, drawn-out affair, and the parents negotiated a covenant between the bride and the groom. And after the covenant was formed, the bride returned to her house, and the groom returned to his house. And at his house, he lived there and built a room for, for the bride. After the room was built, the wedding date would be set. The bridegroom would gather his friends. They would march through the streets to collect the bride. The bridesmaids and her company would light their lamps and return to the groom's house. There the ceremony would take place. The marriage would be consummated. The wedding feast would begin. And knowing this tradition changes many Western interpretations of the parable. The parable isn't really about the church and the groom, Jesus, and the second coming. This is his first coming to the bride. The parable is about the bridesmaids, the virgins. It's about us. And the question that it poses is, and the question that I want you to ponder today as we explore our way through this is, how is your oil? As believers, when we come to Christ, we receive the oil of the Holy Spirit. But some of us are wise, and some of us are foolish. Some of us have extra oil, and some of us, our lamps are flickering. Much of our pilgrimage on earth is traveled in darkness, and it's only lit by the oil that we possess. The extra oil is the difference between wisdom and foolishness. All of the virgins are prepared for the night. All of us who believe in Christ are prepared for this night. We all have a measure of oil. We are all believers. We all fall asleep now and again. All the lamps were burned out as the night wore on. But the wise virgins understood that the night sometimes is longer. The journey is not always smooth. And they had brought an extra source, a separate source, outside the lamp of their own belief. They had the power of the Holy Spirit. The wise virgins knew that somewhere in the night their oil might not last, and so they acquired a spiritual supply to last through the darkness. In the Eastern tradition, the interpretation would be that the five foolish virgins are dutiful believers, but the five wise virgins have discovered an extra source. The foolish virgins possess faith in the living of everyday life in bending their will to repentance. I go to church. I throw some money in the offering, whatever I can afford that week. I drop my kids off at young people's so that Cress and Brian can torture them. 
I go to small group. I bought a case of fruit cocktail for missions. Christ is a foregone conclusion instead of a face-to-face encounter. Maintaining virginity is no longer an inner battle. It's an outward gesture. How is our oil? The five wise virgins, on the other hand, have come to see him as substance, as a movable, always expanding source, a truth that must be constantly rediscovered. They are the seekers of the mind of Christ, questers after holiness. They understand that it is not enough to leave Egypt. We must possess Canaan. We need a direct experience with God. Not someone just telling us about him. This is the Holy Spirit of Pentecost. This is the measure past belief. This is the experience beyond faith. The five wise virgins are all about knowing and transforming and being born again. The first aspect of that, of being born again, is we need to know where that birth is going to take us. Where are we going with this? There's a story about Albert Einstein. He got on a train, and the conductor, he saw the conductor start to come through the uh, coach. And he immediately got up and searched for his ticket. He couldn't find it. He searched everywhere. And the conductor walked over to him and said, Dr. Einstein, we know who you are. You don't have to search for your ticket. It's fine. Conductor passed on. He continued to search. He went through his pockets, his vest pockets. He started to get on the floor and look under the seat. And the conductor came over again and said, Professor Einstein, we know who you are. You don't need a ticket. And he said, no, no. Einstein said, you know, you, you don't understand. He said, I know who I am, and you know who I am, but I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> we must know where we are going, that the journey is stretched out before us, and the night comes upon us, at some point, and we need an extra source of oil. We must know who we are to become in Christ, who he expects us to be. And this is a story that Muhammad Ali tells on himself. He said he was on a plane, and the stewardess came by and said, Mr. Ali, you need to fasten your seatbelt. And he replied, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which the stewardess replied, Okay, well, Superman don't need no airplane either. (laughs) We become who we are meant to be. Superman. In God. Christ can make us into that person. The parable is a romance. We are to know who we are and what our relationship is with him what our marriage is with him. It is an adventure, 
we need to know where we're going. We meet with him through the darkness and we will travel to the end. It's a story about seeking for the spirit of God and joining our spirit with him and becoming holy. This is a life that is not about good behavior or memorizing scripture or preparing for judgment. This is a life that is not a finishing school or a sweatshop where we work off our debt of sin. It is the life process of uniting ourselves with a living spirit and bringing into existence purity of heart. You read this parable and you can't reconcile it with the others that we have studied this summer. Because he's talking about inner transformation, not outward actions. We must know who we are in Christ and what he expects of us. And we are not just sitting on the bench of the winning team. We're expected to play. Do we have enough oil to get on the field? The bridegroom comes to the foolish virgins. The dutiful believers realize they're out of oil. Our lamps are going out. Lend us some oil. If we give you some of our oil, there won't be enough for us. Go buy your own. If Jesus is about sharing and caring and generosity and kindness and mercy, where did this come from? The metaphors don't work. It's clear that Jesus is teaching at a different level here. The five wise virgins cannot share their oil because the oil comes from our own striving. It's individual. You have to do it by yourself. No one can donate the Holy Spirit to us. It is the seeking of the flame from heaven that can ignite us into a burning bush. Each of us must get our own. We're empowered because we're not empowered because we belong to a church. We're empowered because we seek to marry ourselves to the spirit of Christ. Night comes to all of us. Jacob wrestles with the angel at night. The death angel passes over Egypt at midnight. Paul and Silas are in prison praying at midnight. Jesus struggles in the garden at night. Our journey is long, dark. If we don't have the extra oil, we will perish. Winston Churchill said, to every person there comes a moment when he has tapped on the shoulder to do a very special and unique thing to him alone. What a tragedy if that moment finds him unprepared for the work that was to be his finest hour. God taps all of us at different times in our lives. He tests us. He gives us opportunities to grow, to minister, to share. 
He tested the foolish virgins, and they were not ready. Do we have enough oil to stay the course? If we are to struggle through the darkness, we must meet God at a different level, one that loses the shape of the known and launches us into the realm of the Spirit. We must see ourselves for who we are, see Him for who He is, and must go where He wants to take us. Our destiny in God is not fueled by our, ex- by our external oil. It does not come from our human striving. The lamp of life is a spiritual lamp that is lit by the Holy Spirit. John 3, 7, 8. So don't be surprised when I tell you that you have to be born from above, out of this world, so to speak. You know very well how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees. But you have no idea where it has come from or where it is headed next. That's the way it is with everyone born from above, by the wind of God, by the Spirit of God. In this world, we search for our identity and we discover that our identity can only be found in God. We come to him. I believe in you. I accept you into my life. And he sets us on a journey. We have become virgins. But real change into a new creation doesn't take words. It takes a metamorphosis. Not just a birth like the foolish virgins, but a rebirth like the wise virgins. Luke 24, 46, 49. You can see how it is written that the Messiah suffers, rises from the dead on the third day, and then a total life change. You're the first to hear and see it. You are the witnesses. And what comes next is very important. I will send to you what the Father has promised. So stay in Jerusalem until he arrives, until you are equipped with power from on high. Metamorphosis. Change. Rebirth. Virginity. Flame of the Holy Spirit. Enough to equip us to go through the darkness. The final statement in the parable is when the bridegroom says to the foolish virgins, I don't know you. I don't think I know you. And this is a translation in Latin. And so we are separated into winners and losers at the end. But the words that St. Jerome translated as no in the Greek can also be translated as honor. And I would suggest that the last statement of the bridegroom perhaps might be read like this. I don't honor you. I don't think I honor you. Our life, if it is lived without the oil of the Spirit, the power of transformation, the rebirth of ourselves, 
he will accept that life. But does he honor it? Does he honor our life? So let's look at ourselves. Are our lives worthy of honor? Are they in pursuit of purity? Are we actually changed into new beings? Or are we still the old bodies that just show up on a Sunday morning? Do we have the extra oil to carry us through the night? Are we living with any power in our lives? Have we been reborn into a new existence and a new identity? Have we discovered who we are? And where we are going, will that journey bring honor to God and help us to arrive at our destination? How is our oil? Today is a time when we really need to reflect on that question and on our journey and on the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen.